Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome to the Danny Klinkscale Reasonably Irreverent Podcast. Insightful and witty commentary, probing interviews, and detours from the beaten path. Welcome to Danny and Stan's Football Weekend, and we get to talk about college and pro football and significant things, but starting off with Stan, I want to talk to him about something that obviously is close to his heart and his life for years and years and years now, and that's K-State football. And I want to start out with a question that in all the years I've been around you on, off the air, I've never asked you this question, and it popped into my mind in talking about some memories of Bill Snyder, and that is you started doing the color announcing for Kansas State football in 1987, a couple of years prior to Bill Snyder coming aboard. What were your feelings about K-State football at that point in time? Did you feel like it was like sort of a hopeless thing, or you being such an up optimistic guy and having played in one of the few periods where there was at least some success, it was such a disaster at that point in time. What was it like being around K-State football, and what were your thoughts on it when you started being a color man? In 1987 is when I started, and it was disappointing to see it slide back down the hill because historically I knew growing up in the state of Kansas and monitoring the Big 8, especially in KU and K-State, very specifically The K-State's football record, along with Northwestern, was the worst in college football history. But when I went there and I was given the opportunity to go play, it wasn't like that. There were coaches that were assistants who ended up being big names. I won't go through all of them. And were college football coaches that you'd recognize. And the team really had a lot of things going for it. We went to the first bowl game in K-State history in 1982. Now, there was a big separation more than ever. There weren't scholarship limits. So the Oklahomas and the Nebraskas were so much better than us. We couldn't have any prayer of beating them. But after that, we could compete with the rest of the conference and fight our way, and we weren't always in last place. So I thought the production at K-State at that point was unlikely to have a lot of winning records, but it was very representative football. And then after I left college, they fired Jim Dickey, the head coach uh, that I played under, and when they went and, and made a move to Stan Parrish, I got to start announcing. Two years after I was out of college, I began announcing. And so, first of all, I was more interested in, hey, I'm getting to meet Mitch Holtis, work with him. There's so many things that I didn't focus on the football as much as my job, but it was very disappointing. When Bill Snyder came in in 89, they did not win a game over two seasons. That was maybe traditional K-State football, but not what I thought of it throughout the 80s. So I was disappointed that they'd fallen that far, but not discouraged. I thought it truly was a mismatch between Stan Parrish, what he had as a vision, uh, and he ended up being a very good offensive coordinator at Michigan. But his vision was not right for K-State. So I was very open-minded that you get the right guy in here and we'll be right back to winning four to six. You know, once in a while, slip in a seven-win season maybe. And so, that, yeah, I was optimistic. But the optimism was at a level of you're not going to lose every game. You're going to win a few conference games every year. And the KU-K-State game should be an absolute toss-up. What was it maybe 
first that you noted about Bill Snyder that you had faith that he was going to get it done. Obviously, there weren't when it, you know it came fairly rapidly when you think about it in the grand scheme of how bad it was. But still, he lost a lot of games right out of the box. Uh, what, what did you see, or maybe an initial thought? Uh, that made you think it might work. Okay, Danny, before I ask this question, we have to have full disclosure. Have you ever asked me this question before? No, I don't think so either. Very important, because what I'm going to answer to you is not a setup. You did not set me up, okay? Because I want you, you might, you know, want to say something after I get done with this. 1989, I was in my third year of broadcasting, had a regular job in Kansas City. The only broadcasting I did was 11 Saturdays a year with Mitch Holtis. I had no other presence in the media, okay? And that's important when you say, what did Bill Snyder do for my career? Uh, My credibility came about because K-State football started playing well. People started listening, and suddenly I got invited to places like Between the Lines on Sports Radio 810. So he's the reason why I am in broadcasting more than just doing some K-State games. But when I was doing that, I didn't go back to practice. So I didn't see K-State do anything during two-a-days. Danny, they hadn't won a game in the previous two years. So I show up and fly down to Arizona State for the first game of Bill Snyder's era in 1989. And they went through a practice the night before in shorts and helmets on the field at Arizona State uh, in Tempe. They went through a practice, probably an hour, 15 minutes. And I stood there next to Mitch Holtis and Ed O'Donnell, who's a famous producer at WIBW. The three of us stood there, and we were watching practice from the corner of the field, just waiting for, you know, we had no idea what's happening when it would end. We would get back on the bus when it was time to get back on the bus. We're sitting there talking, and I'm going to say a third of the way through, past the early warm-ups and then into some drills, I turned to Mitch Holtis and these guys, and I said, we're going to win. And they said, what do you just say? You haven't announced a winning game yet, and you've been a broadcaster for two years. I go, we are going to win. And I was so convicted. These players were not very good, but every drill was done perfectly. Every pass, if they threw it, it was to throw it accurately. And every catch was on their fingertips, and if they didn't catch it, I mean, they ran over and picked that ball up and went back. It looked like we were watching Army or Navy do drills. So I'm very proud sometimes you know Danny when my instincts come out about these kind of things I don't need to usually meet prospective football coaches very long when I go oh this guy's a winner you know I can tell the bad ones and the good ones in the middle yeah who knows but I'm telling you I said to those guys we're going to win and they are like what do you mean we're going to win I said we are going to win four to seven games you know we're going to be bowl eligible under this coach someday I don't know when so again our expectations were just being competitive and trying to win but that's how soon. That's absolutely the truth. I saw it right away. This guy had something different about him. Now, I didn't know Bob Stoops and all these other guys were along for the ride. I just knew Bill Snyder. But it, there was no doubt. And they played that way against Arizona State. First drive, they intercepted a pass and missed a field goal. And you go, ugh, it is K-State a little bit still. K-State did not score and lost to Arizona State. But Bill Snyder, you could just see the excellence oozing out the first time I watched a practice. When maybe a few, couple of years hence, did you think that they might uh, the team the program might rise to where it was a, a perennial contender and 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 borderline national uh, power at times? Well, year uh, one there was only one win, beat North Texas. They're the number one ranked team in the country. It was a big deal, but that doesn't tell you how far you're going to go. But year two, they had Carl Straw as a quarterback. Uh, they had some good players, not great players, but he was attacking 
the Big 12, Big 8 at that time differently. Everyone wanted to run and power the football and be good at that. That's what you wanted to do to be good, and we tried to do it when I was a player. Bill Snyder threw the ball more than he ran the ball his first two years, Danny. He said, heck with that. Why would I try to block Nebraska's guys? Let's throw the ball past him. It was flat-out brilliance. He was thinking way ahead of everybody else. And Carl Straw led K-State to five wins in year two. So there was no doubt that we were going to have winning records, be competitive in almost every game, probably not ever beat Oklahoma and Nebraska, but immediately you could see it. A little dip in 19, uh, that was, and in 1991, seven and four team, and there was never a doubt that K-State shouldn't be sitting around seven wins year after year after year. But this is where Bill Snyder's excellence shoots off the chart. Because I said after 1991, wow, we are a winning football program. This is greater than I ever thought. If we could win seven games every year for the next five years, we would all be doing backflips, going to bowl games, et cetera. He ramped it up to nine almost immediately. Now, Danny, you read, you refigure things, and you're like, okay, we only play 11 games back then, and we're winning nine. This is elite. This is the greatest coach ever. And all he did was ramp it up to 11. When he says no limitations, when he talks about that goal – it's crazy. The guy never got satisfied. He, should, he could have stopped at seven and been a hero. And he went right to nine, settled there for a little while, was unhappy, and shot all the way to 11 for four or five straight years of 11-win seasons. So the guy's incredible. He's revamped so many things. Uh, probably one of the best lines ever was Mitch Holtz's very traditional. I don't want to speak for Mitch, but Mitch is just salt of the earth, Kansas kid. I mean, he loved everything about K-State and, and this state, right? And then this power cat was presented by Bill Snyder as the mascot, you know, for the football team's helmet. Not for any other sport. No way. Not basketball. Not anything else. And I said, Mitch, let me tell you something. I do know this. I'm, a new, I'm awful young, new to announcing. So I had very few times I could tell Mitch something, you know, really, really good. This one I was total confident, total confidence on. I said, Mitch, if we win at football, that letterhead's going to be on the engineering department's head of the department. That's how powerful it is. And that was my prediction then, and I never doubted it. When we started winning football, look, power cats everywhere on the academic side and everything else. So that's the greatest example of how he changed things. There is such a buy-in at K-State that that power cat is the logo for the Wildcats. You have to talk about uh, why we are at this point now. Uh, you know, I they people have all kinds of speculation across the board as to you know whether Bill, uh, Bill Snyder really did want to pick this time to retire or whatever but we'll visit that uh, in, in future installations but what do you think changed about the landscape of college football and or Bill Snyder and or the state of Kansas or whatever that when he returned Kansas State played good football but the peak had come and gone as far as the best football that Kansas State could play uh, they did have a conference championship, so I'm not going to say that they, you know, they didn't reach any heights at all. But it was a little bit different. It was a different level of football. What do you think might have changed? Well, it's hard to replace the excellence of the coaching staff that he had. Um, and that's no cut down to my buddies, and these truly are my friends and buddies. And if they go onto your website here, some of them may be upset, like, are you calling me out? Well, I'm just saying, when you're first there and you're young and excited and pulling together and getting new responsibilities, that's the best cohesion of your life. And you got a guy like Bob Stoops who was so excited to be involved as a real coach. He wasn't a defensive coordinator when he came to K-State. Bob Cope was. He passed away. That allowed Jim Levitt 
and Bob Stoops to step up. How excited were they to work together? And Brent Venables coming along as a youngster. And the Mark Manginos of the world. And the Bill Snyders. I mean, you just had this powerful source of guys energized. And the momentum of the fans who just thought the way I just explained. When they won seven, it was off the charts. Then the nine. So you got a rocket booster underneath you. It is harder to sustain excellence when everyone expects it than it is to move up the ladder. And that was a big part of this, is that people started thinking it's no big deal to win 9 or 11. And your players start thinking, hey, I was recruited by K-State, got this silver helmet on, got the great coach over there, we're going to win. In his second tenure, there's, there is definitely that uh, lack of sense of urgency from the players. They think they're probably going to be good and things are going to turn out. And you're not going to recreate having a guy like Bill Snyder and Bob Stoops together. And a hey, a 55-year-old Bill Snyder is going to kick the butt of a 70-year-old Bill Snyder. I don't think he. I hope he, he doesn't get mad at that. But I'm telling you, uh, most people who know about aging would say that 55-year-old is going to get at it. So you're talking about a guy super energized. And how about people saying you can't do it? Even for Bill Snyder, it's easier to be motivated when everyone said you can't do it at K-State. Then, oh, this is easy, Coach. I know beating Oklahoma and Nebraska, that's expected. So you understand that the psychological part of it was way harder in the second tenure, and he didn't have the juice. And then he chose, one way or another, to really emphasize the 16 goals even more publicly and recruiting high school kids more. So he used to be a master like Bill Belichick with a salary cap. He'd go find a JUCO guy here and a JUCO guy there and manage their their – their humanness, their their academic side, help them along, but have superstar talent. If you think about it, he mostly went with high school players, developed them from that point, and didn't worry about filling the holes quite as much. So those all those factors uh, came in. But I will say this, Danny, very important that you think about this. Bill Snyder, his first 17 years, the average number of wins that he had is 8.00000. No decimal past the eight, Okay. In his 10 years back for his second tenure, he had 79 wins. If he would have held on to the win against Iowa State, he would have averaged 8.0000 in the second tenure. It ends up being 7.9. So there really wasn't as big a fall off as a lot of people think. That's true. I will point out that they were playing 11-game seasons for a little while, so, right. so that is true. But that's very close. You're right. And they did have a conference championship. It certainly was no big fall off. I'll just ask you one co- uh, question about the coaching search because maybe when we reconvene next week, we'll we'll know, either know more or there'll be a coach. It seems likely from what we're seeing as far as the speculation, probably some sources that people have, that somebody from without the Kansas State program is going to be the next head coach, it would seem. Somebody without real ties to Kansas State. Is that cultural aspect of it, knowing what K-State's about, knowing what Manhattan's about, is that going to be difficult for the next coach? It's important to have them understand that very quickly and not to discount it. I don't know if I answered your question perfectly, but I'll spin it a little bit and say, uh, when I, and I've said this now for a few years, everyone said, who should be the next guy? they very interested to say to me, who should be the next guy? And I've been able to say, Bob Stoops is the one that I pointed out when he was pretty young, 1994, to be exact, I told Bob Stoops, you need to be the next head coach at K-State. That's how much confidence I had in him. He's the one superstar that rolled through there. And I think I did speak to Brent Venables when he uh, was in 1990. 
seven, probably about that time, I said, Brent, you're a little young right now, but someday you might be the guy if Coach Snyder hangs on. So I'm very high on Brent Venables as well, even though he hasn't had the head coaching experience. So right now, if you said Brent Venables, I'd say, yeah, that'd be my number one guy, number one guy on the list. But after that, Here's what I'm going to watch for, and I've been saying this for the last few years. Whoever replaces Coach Schneider, I'm very comfortable with who that is or where they come from. It doesn't matter to me, but I hope they connect with the Bill Snyder style by keeping some of the coaches. That's fine when they come in and they have 10 coaches to fill out, 10 or 11, whatever it is. I'm okay if they bring six, seven guys with them, but they probably are going to have to find these other guys from someplace, and I hope that they are able to keep the right guys on the K-State staff and these guys will be so respectful. They're my friends. I know them. They're not going to say, I'm not doing that. Coach Snyder wouldn't do that. They're absolutely going to be on board. But what that head coach is going to be able to do is he's going to be able to say to them, what would Coach Snyder do in this situation? Or why did you guys do this? And just hearing the information pure and accurately to give that coach an idea of what options you have with the Bill Snyder way of doing things, I think will be invaluable. And it goes all the way to Sean Snyder. Because no one has better inside information. And Sean was so respectful with Ron Prince. He did not play the card of a drab face when he heard something from Ron Prince. He goes, ugh. No, he was all in. Like, let's do the right thing. I'm an employee of yours. So if Sean Snyder stays around, he could be a great resource to say, here's why we did this. But if you don't want to go that way, that's fine. Uh, I hope they tie back in and keep some of the Snyder-isms with some Snyder people involved. Let's turn to a couple other college football issues before we take our time out. And uh, Oklahoma gets in. Did you think that was the right call? I think it is the right call, but it's so, so very, very close that I couldn't argue if it would have went one of other two ways. Uh, I don't think there's any difference between the Oklahoma and the Ohio State resume. Uh, the Oklahoma was rated higher than them by the committee, and I definitely didn't think that Ohio State's Michigan slash Northwestern performance should overwhelm the week before when they could have lost to Maryland, the other games that they struggled with. So I, Ohio State does not deserve to be in a college football playoff, but it's hard for me to argue that Oklahoma does either. Uh, Big 12 guy, I'm glad that they got in. I'm glad the Big 10 got left out again because that may create a little tension and someone saying, do we have to have it this way? Is there another way for this to work out? Uh, but I think Georgia's argument is very, very good as well. Uh, yeah. Georgia gives you every indication that they could play at a higher level than Oklahoma and Ohio State. I think for the things that I think the college football playoff should be about, one of them is when you're close, pick a conference champion. And I think that criteria is very fair for Oklahoma or Ohio State to beat Georgia. What's crazy about the committee's results, how could they have Georgia in between Oklahoma and Ohio State? In my analysis, that can't happen. To me, you either have Georgia above the two or Georgia below, because there's no thinner line that I saw in any evaluation than the Buckeyes and Sooners. Well, Georgia could have got themselves in by winning the game that they had control of. I guess control is not fair, but you got a two-touchdown lead. And, and then, of course, the Cinderella tale of the reverse reverse uh, backup quarterback getting in there and, and doing the job. But I thought of you right away when Kirby Smart fake punted, and I've heard nothing afterwards that somebody did, you know, somebody went rogue or something, on 4th and 11. Because we've talked a lot at this football season about how it's becoming accepted now to do the aggressive, the crazy thing. I'm all for a fake punt, maybe, but fourth and 11, that has to go real well. I mean, that guy's going to have to run 20 yards to make a first down. What'd you think of that play that really was a game turner? Well, you know that Kirby's last name is not his nickname. 
Um, here's the things he got himself into. Anytime you get near the 50-yard line, I'll so often say it on the broadcast, maybe it's like hitting a recorder or something. Watch out for the fake punt right here because when it gets to the 50 and you're in a situation like that. So if I were doing the broadcast for Alabama, I would have said, first of all, that. Secondly, I would have said, oh, I like this. Alabama left their defense on the field. They didn't bring their punt return unit in, Danny. So there's where the logic stream for Georgia really goes out the window. Alabama played for the fake. They left their real defenders in. They didn't bring a bunch of defensive backs who go in and try to block downfield and turn their backs and run downfield. Alabama says, uh, we'll put a guy back there to fair catch. We're going to worry about the fake, and they ran it right into it. So the fact that they didn't audibleize out of it makes no sense at all uh, if you have to use a timeout or whatever, but fourth and 11 is totally different than fourth and four. Because a fourth and four, you can just hit them and fall forward and go, oh, well, it didn't work very well, but we got a first down. Fourth and 11, you have to have a lot of things go right. And you're talking about Coach Saban. Even I would be saying, look here. So Alabama played it so perfectly, there really is no excuse for Georgia to run it into Alabama's normal defense. Absolutely the case in my mind. Let's talk some pro football issues. There's certainly a lot swirling around there when we continue with Danny and Stan's football weekend. More of Danny's Reasonably Irreverent podcast after this. Combine a convenient location, a warm and friendly atmosphere, great food and handcrafted beers brewed on the premises, and you've got your spot in Lawrence at the 23rd Street Brewery. Matt Llewellyn and his friendly staff are eager to welcome you before, during, and after a KU game, an NFL Sunday, or any other occasion. Located at Clinton Parkway in Castle, the 23rd Street Brewery serves great food until 10 and great beer till later. Make the 23rd Street Brewery your choice when you are in Lawrence. Sumner One is the company to make your office maximize efficiency. Their family of companies make up one of the largest independent dealers of office technology in the Midwest. They are proud to bring the best service and technology to top companies across the region. Sumner One can help your organization run more smoothly than ever. Sumner One printers, copiers, MFPs, managed print services, document management, infrastructure design, IT services, disaster recovery, and business continuity. Welcome to the one place where everything works. For more information, call Carl Little at 913-752-2256. For many people, a family law case will be one of the most difficult experiences in their life. The law firm of Kenneth McRae will help you through it. Personal and effective help from Ken in concert with you will develop a unique strategy for your unique case. As Ken always says, divorce can be civil law, not civil war. Licensed in Kansas? Visit McRaeLawOffice.com or call 913-972-4765. Are you tired of paying multiple services to handle different aspects of making your yard look the way that you want? Or are you spending countless hours of your precious time handling the job yourself? Why don't you do what I did and switch to Ambassador Lawn and Landscape? In addition to paying one service to fertilize and seed, and another to do the cutting, I had handled many of the duties myself. But now just in time to save me from countless hours of fall leaf raking, I got in touch with Taylor Jones, the owner of Ambassador. He personally went over my property with me and my wife, and we put together a plan to upgrade the look of our yard. Ambassador is a full-service lawn and landscaping company specializing in professional mowing and all types of landscape design. They are also experts in tree work, spring and fall cleanup, leaf removal, shrub trimming, mole removal, seed and sod work, verticutting, aerating, hardscape design, mulching, 
rock work, gutter cleanouts, well, just about everything. For friendly, reliable, and cost-effective service, use the company I use, Ambassador Lawn and Landscape. Call them at 816-645-0198. That's 816-645-0198. Back on Danny and Stan's football weekend, a little bit of pro football for you. Life without Kareem Hunt starts for the Kansas City Chiefs. First of all, your basic thoughts on the Chiefs' really you know, bold move. Very bold. It makes you wonder about all the aspects of his citizenship and what he has been to the Chiefs that we don't know about. We just see a guy running like crazy on the field and an exceptional pass catcher, a physical runner, hard to tackle. Uh, That's just a football player. Past that, how much do you put into the fact that he didn't tell the Chiefs the truth? I, I don't know. It seems like a big deal to them, but it can conveniently be a big deal. Uh, they were very decisive. Maybe it's as simple as this. This team has too good a chance to win the Super Bowl. We'll be better having no distractions and moving on than worrying about what he might give us next year. To me, there's still some football field aspects to this whole thing. Not to take away from the Chiefs doing the right thing, and there may be a lot more reasons why they, they had to do this. But when we talk about it from a football aspect, they took care of the distractions. Secondly, I've said the Chiefs, right here with you, Danny, the whole time. The Chiefs' biggest risk of not winning the Super Bowl or even getting to the Super Bowl is that their stars aren't available. And I've always listed him last of those four stars. So I think they can do fine without him. They can work around it. Andy Reid loves passing the football more than running the football, and the Chiefs can get it done. But don't tell me about a pulled hamstring by Tyreek Hill when it's playoff time or a hit. Watkins doesn't come back. You know, Sammy Watkins can help fill in for a cream hunt somewhat. But I, I think it's uh, – Travis Kelsey after Tyreek Hill after Patrick Mahomes. Those are the dudes that have to be available for the Chiefs to be great. It helped that they had Hunt, but I think they can work around it. Maybe any signs of life that we saw or thought we saw have gone out the window as far as the defense is concerned. It seems like maybe on the home field they'll be passable. On the road, dreadful. Now, in playoffs, they're probably not going to have to worry about the road. They're going to probably, if they if they were to play in the Super Bowl, they probably will, it's still at this team, likely to play two home games and a neutral side game. So maybe it's not quite as important. Just your thoughts on the defense and whether it is even in your mind more of an issue right now. I don't think it's even more because I never bought into that they're that good. So I think they've had a weakness and I think a team that attacks them in the running game. I know you can't win running the football but you can keep Patrick Mahomes off the field, dictate the clock, run the football, create balance in your offense, get the safeties to step up, and then throw at will as well. So D. Ford's definitely turned out to be a much better player than we ever expected him to. He's a difference maker, so you got a little bit better pass rush. Get Eric Berry back, that may help. They did get some turnovers. They, they're ball hawking, knocking the football loose. The Chiefs deserve credit for that. So they got uh, Chris Jones is doing a very nice job. So there are aspects of the defense that, that you could point to to be more excited about. But what they're going to need is having home games in Kansas City. The crowd truly can make a difference. It's old-fashioned to say, Marty Schottenheimer-like, but I'm telling you, the crowd can make a difference. That noise level, that excitement level, the field will not be in great condition with the Chiefs. I don't think that will bother the Chiefs, but it will bother the other team. A little bit bad weather will help out. So there's a chance that we could see the defense you know, end up with three or four sacks, some of them critical times, maybe even a strip sack fumble. Um, then you say you know, get a turnover or two and the opponent scores only 24 points 
and you go, wow, that could have been 40, but it was only 24, and the Chiefs offense takes care of business. But to think that they're going to shut someone down and hold them under 20 points, I don't ever think. It's going to be a high-scoring game, but that's fine. I think Patrick Mahomes and the boys are predictable enough. If all the stars are there, they can outscore them. And finally, we saw the most schoolyard Patrick Mahomes we've seen yet yesterday, and it was fine. It worked. What's the balance there? What's the, the line? It, it appears to me like his mechanics within the pocket are getting worse by the week, but his playmaking ability outside the pocket is just otherworldly right now. You're going to lose the game when things don't go your way. And Alex Smith took all kinds of heat because he lost a playoff game here and he lost a playoff game there. But if you go back and study those games, you could point out, oh, gosh, really, is that going to happen again? Are the Titans really going to throw a pass, bounce off, of a defender and go back to the quarterback for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? I mean, it's not meant to be. And Patrick Mahomes has brought that into play. Um, the, the possible interception throw was all over the place yesterday and on Sunday. And some of, there was a completion that was, should have been an interception. I mean, you just say, sometimes things are going well for you. And we might say 2018 is that year. And that can be. It can be a whole year. But, Danny, it scares me that when you go down and say you got to win two playoff games and then go to the Super Bowl, those three games that you're not going to have one of those games that where the odds come back. Not against you to make up for the whole year. Just he should have thrown two interceptions yesterday if the guys just could have caught the football. And one of them ended up being a completion. So it's been a charmed life that he's led. He is playing so well at times, but he has been putting the ball at risk a lot more. And I don't know if you'd call it regression or not scared of the consequences yet. That part of Alex Smith, you wish Alex were in the locker room and could just spend a couple weeks with him and go, I love what you're doing. I'm not telling you not to throw the ball on the run to Travis Kelsey. That's not too dangerous. I mean, that was an unbelievable rollout, throw over the defender. He kills people, but he's not taking risks when he's doing that. It can be in the pocket, but when he truly has a possibility of turning it over, He's got to have alarms go off and go, it isn't worth it. Guess what? That was just second down. And you, if you're the Kansas City Chiefs and it's third and 10, you can still go get a first down. So he, he needs to not only try to make the plays, but realize, I can make this play next down, so let's don't blow it on this one. I thought he's a little, I don't know if you'd say loose or aggressive, but he needs to be careful, obviously in the pocket, holding the football. He, that hurt him against the Rams. But in this game, he threw it to the Raiders a number of times. Always great talking quarterback play with Stan Weber as we wrap up this edition of Danny and Stan's Football Weekend. We hope you enjoyed the latest Danny Klingscale Reasonably Irreverent Podcast. Come back soon for something fresh and new. This podcast was made possible by our great sponsors like Sumner One is the company to make your office maximize efficiency. Welcome to the one place where everything works. Sumner One. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.